Raptors fans, and welcome back to another episode of Raptors Review. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing pretty great, Aaron, unlike our Raptors. How are you doing? Uh, I've been a little bit under the weather. You can probably hear my voice is a little nasally, a little congested, but I'm recovering. Raptors went 2-1 and one this week, and 2-1 and one sounds great, but was it, Ben? Was it really great? I'll tell you, it didn't feel great. Beating Charlotte twice, you know, not not the most impressive feat in the world, especially when both games are at home. And both games, like the score doesn't necessarily reflect it. Both games we won by double digits, but felt felt kind of close at certain points in the they, game. They were competitive games. They were competitive games, which is kind of alarming because this Charlotte team is alarmingly bad. Yeah, they are atrocious on defense, on offense. Like Lamelo is great. He he was he really impressed me with his shot making ability and passing. But also, like he's still a pretty sloppy player. He'll still get a decent amount of turnovers. And Terry Rozier is just like a shorter Gary Trent with a little bit more in his bag. More athletic, yeah. More more handles, yeah. Yeah, he's just got more game than Gary Trent does. <laughs> yeah, but he like he's just a scorer. But that's yeah. like all they have going for them. And Plum Dog they, is like decent as a center. He can, I mean, like, decent. He's, he's okay. Yeah, yeah. He's an NBA player, sure. It's just like these games should not be close, and they were, and that was despite the Raptors shooting pretty well and like playing really well offensively defensively left a lot to be desired <laughs> for sure. Let's talk about these games individually. So the first one, the Raptors beat the Hornets 132 to 120, which is super high scoring for the Raptors. And they gave up 120, you know, Charlotte did shoot 43% from three. Terry Rozier was just on fire. He was 14 of 19 this game. Uh, but the Raptors, Season high, 20 made three-pointers, shot 45% from three. OG Ananobi was six of seven. Precious Achua was three of five. Uh, Gary Trent was four of ten. They, they hit a ton of shots. And that's kind of concerning that you need to hit... I mean, they didn't need to hit 20 threes, but they needed to hit a lot of these threes to, to win against Charlotte. And this game was, I felt, during the run of play, pretty close. Yeah, it, it was really close until the stretch in the fourth quarter when the Raptors hit a flurry of shots that put put the Hornets away. But like, I loved what I saw on offense because a lot of these threes were good looks. The Raptors were flowing, passing the ball, taking wide open they shots. Look, they look so good, but I think a lot of it is just Charlotte is playing a lot of people that don't really know what they're doing on D. And the Raptors, this, this happens against the Raptors a lot as well, where... If, if the opponent hits a ton of threes and the Raptors overcompensate and start trying to take everything away and end up just giving a bunch of back cuts, and that felt like what Charlotte was doing. The Raptors hit some shots early, and then they felt like they had to contest everything in the perimeter and just gave up back cut after back cut after back cut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nice to see Precious Achua back in action and looking. Yeah. I think Precious Achua is starting to play like his old self a bit. He's got some confidence mm. on offense. This week, he was one of the Raptors' five best players for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that was good to see. But just defensively, like they just couldn't contain LaMelo. He had 14 assists in this game. 
wasn't the most efficient nine of 22, but like he, he took, he takes some dumb shots every night on his, on yeah, his good just shots. Just like floaters like, from a deep two. <laughs> yeah. And like he chucked up a few like really quick deep threes and stuff that is just like, you don't really need to do this Lamello. Um, yeah. But just when he was playing intelligently, it just felt like they couldn't do anything to stop him. Yeah. He's very creative and very unpredictable which yeah. sometimes works against him, but sometimes it's kind of like the Russell Westbrook where you kind of need him to play this way because the unpredictability is what he sort of gets him through the defense sometimes, but then also it leads to this, some, some really dumb turnovers. And it's hard to, I think, take one away without taking the other away as well. Yeah. like Har- Charlotte is a team where you would figure like the Raptors on defense would feast where it's like, okay, they've got one guy that really can create shots. Yeah. And... You know, the Raptors have made their bread by just taking out superstars out of the action and doubling them, forcing the ball out of their hands. It didn't really feel like they could make LaMelo uncomfortable. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, you know, worrying signs for things to come for the Raptors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, let's go to game two here. So this was Thursday night. The Raptors beat the Hornets in a more reasonable 124-114. This one felt a lot like game one, just with worse shooting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, Pascal Siakam was hyper-efficient, 11 of 13 here, got to the line uh, 12 times for 35 points, like just ultimate efficiency. The Raptors as a whole, like they didn't shoot nearly as well from the three, but they were a lot better from two this game. And on the other side, Lamella Ball, again, extremely, like, more efficient than game one, 11 of 19 from the floor. Uh, Mason Plumley missed one shot in the two games against the Raptors. <laughs> he had his way finishing around the basket. I, he's got a little, he's got a little game to him, he's a little creativity. He's a decent passer, does some, has some nice moves around the basket. Obviously, the shooting and the free throw shooting are major concerns, but. You know, if I was if I was a contender that needed a center, I feel like you could do a lot worse than, than Mason Plumlee. I just don't think you're really a contender if you're starting Mason Plumlee as your center. Uh, yeah, that's a fair point. But as a backup big, like he, yeah. he he's actually helpful in offense, which a lot of bigs are not. Yeah, he he's a nice NBA player. Like he he definitely is solid. It's just he's he's not going to win you a basketball game, <laughs> but <laughs> he might stop you from losing it though. Yeah, that's fair. I thought the Raptors' process on offense this game was just as good as the other game. Absolutely. And like Gary yeah. Trent was two of eleven from three, but he had some good looks. Like I didn't think he was chucking this game. It just the shots weren't falling for him, and that was one of the big. You know, they only made ten threes this game, but. They were still getting great looks, and yeah, I mean, I don't. I feel like the thirteen shots for Siakam for thirty-five points is just so impressive. Like that, yeah. Yeah. it was just clinical out there for him. Just yeah, it, it very like the Raptors look great on offense in these games, but I think you got to take it with pillars of salt, just with how bad Charlotte is. Uh, they they just look so mm-hmm. discombobulated on on both sure. ends to some extent. Like they're they're spacing on offense. Like what really worried me about the Raptors' defense is their spacing on offense is really rough. Like Plumlee's not a shooter. J- Jalen McDaniels doesn't want to take anything but wide open corner threes. It was the same with PJ Washington to some extent. Uh, Terry Rozier isn't a great three point shooter. Lamelo Ball is like really the only guy that wants to bomb away from the three. 
And then off the bench, like Cody Martin's not really a great shooter. Dennis Smith Jr. is not a shooter. And then they have a bunch of bigs like Nick Richards and JT Thor. Like this, this team, as with who they're currently playing, just doesn't have a lot of spacing. And yet the Raptors still struggled to slow the Hornets down. Yeah, I mean, it was really like the Raptors felt like they were in control of this game. They're up like 15 to yeah. 20 for a good stretch of it. And then just late in the third and then in the they, fourth quarter, they just let the Hornets go on this yeah. huge run. They were making some really bad mistakes, just wasting possessions yeah. and not playing great defense and let the Hornets get back in the game. And it ended up being really close down the stretch until they like pulled away in the final minute or two. But, you know, this this game was closer to, at the end than the 124-114 score would indicate. Like, the Hornets were absolutely in it with about two minutes left. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's like, this is just should not happen if you're a good team against one of the worst teams in the league where you're up 20. You can't, you can't let them get back in the game. Like, that's just bad. And the Raptors starters ended up having to play. It's like Siakam ended up having to play almost 38 minutes. Same with OG. Yeah. It's like this, these are games where you want to be able to rest players, play them less minutes, and that didn't really happen. The first game it did. The first game the starters were all low 30s, and then the second game it's like they couldn't afford to rest on the stretch because the bench guys were getting <laughs> getting the Hornets back into the game. Yeah. It, two wins, but if you're looking at this from like a moral victory point of view, I don't know that they're there. No. Definitely not. Uh, let's jump ahead to Saturday night where the Raptors lost to the Atlanta Hawks 114 to 103. What was the story of this game to you, Ben? Because for me, it was terrible point of attack defense on Trey Young and Jante Murray. They were just getting to the paint at will. And it's really hard to defend when you're having a, a guard running at you full speed at the rim. And especially when the such good, so good at floaters like Trey Young. It was just, it was tough. Yeah. I, I think to me that that wasn't the biggest thing that stood out to me in this game. Like the, the point of attack defense, it's it's hard to stay in front of Trey Young. Trey Young is, is a great offensive player. The DeJounte Murray stuff, like DeJounte Murray shot 10 of 17, finished with 27 points, extremely efficient. But like he was taking contested mid-range yeah, jumpers. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And like four of those came over Fred Van Vliet, who he can shoot over anytime he wants. And it's like, maybe that's just, you know, the limitations of Fred and that's good offense for DeJounte Murray. He, he is a mid-range specialist, but a lot of his offense, I was like, okay, you know what? I think we live with this. If, yeah, if DeJounte sure. Murray for is sure. going to beat us by hitting jumpers, that's okay. Yeah, that is okay. It was just worrying how easily they were, they got to the paint. And I think, the, the Raptors coaching staff saw this too because, you know, Scotty Barnes played 37 minutes, OG played 35 minutes, Pascal Siakam fouled out, and that's why he only had 34 minutes this game. Fred Van Vliet, 26 minutes. And and for Gary Trent Jr., 20 minutes. And the reason why they weren't playing these guys is because they couldn't stay in front of anyone. And, and I they, mean, the it Raptors, was also atrocious offense. Like It was. It was. Those like, guys they, they, were weren't, they weren't giving anything on offense. offense, but the reason why you took them off is because they were killing you on defense. And the Raptors tried to close this game out playing Precious Achua and uh, Chris Boucher instead of Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. Then Pascal Siakam fouled up and they had to put Freddie back in. But they tried to close the game without both of their guards, and it did look way better on defense. Just having all the big, all the like switching everything 
and just trying to stay in front of him. And one thing that was surprising to me is they almost never put OG as the guy on Trey Young this game, which I, I was kind of surprised by. They ended up going with Precious, which I thought Precious did a fantastic job in that situation and really bothered bothered Trey Young when they went to it. But just all game, they had Freddie matched up. Like when Freddie was on the floor, he was guarding Trey Young, which I just I don't know why they did that. Like they had, Atlanta has so many guys that just want to stand in the corner and shoot that you can put and Freddie could sort of you could save Freddie by putting him in the corner there as opposed to having him just get roasted by Trey Young. Yeah, it was Trey Young or Dejounte Murray for him, and it didn't yeah. look great. I agree with that. But okay, on the flip side, on the offensive side of the ball. A, we couldn't hit a friggin' shot to save our lives. It felt like so many missed layups. You could make a 10-minute montage yeah. of missed layups in this game. Scotty Barnes was like culprit number one here, but a bunch <laughs> of other guys as well were just missing looks around the basket. And, you know. Wait, what's like, disappointing here, the Hawks don't have Clint Capella. Akongwu is one of the, like the most undersized centers and they weren't even playing like a backup center either, right? So they when when O'Connor was off the floor, they were playing like Jalen Johnson or DeAndre Hunter at center. Like this Hawks lineup was tiny. Yeah, and and it felt like the Raptors were dominating inside. They were getting into the paint, lots of little post ups, getting great position under the basket, yeah. getting good looks at the rim, and just not finishing. Like yeah. I think Scotty Barnes, process wise. Had a pretty solid game. Like, he was the really aggressive. Half, yeah, the first half, yeah, I thought he was really good. And he looked like the best Raptor in the first half. He was asserting himself. And like the stat line at the end of the game, you're like, oh, this is a great stat line. 27 points, 12 assists, three steals, one block, two assists. Nine of like, 10 from the line. Like, Yeah, like he got yeah. to the free throw line 10 times, like nine of 16 from the field. But those like missed <laughs> seven shots were all like layups at the rim where you're like, that looks like it could have easily gone in and just like lack of touch. Um, And yeah, like OG had some misses like Siakam as well. Like five of one of his worst games of the season. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is, this is a Hawks lineup that he should be feasting against. Right. And just, he couldn't really ever get it going. You know, the shot, the jump shot wasn't falling, but that was true for pretty much all the Raptors this game. So Yeah. Very Tough few one. jumpers were falling, except for Chris Boucher at the end of the game. And it was like, if, if Chris Boucher is winning us this game, it's time to blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> also, on the fast break, the Raptors had some seriously questionable strategies. Like, they had a couple, like, three-on-two fast breaks where they were just looking. They didn't even try and attack the basket. They just kicked it out to for three-pointers. Yeah. One of them was to Malachi Flynn, who ended up taking this, like, terrible three-pointer. Another one was to Juancho, who it's like, do you really want Juancho taking a three? It wasn't even in the corner. It was on the side. Yeah. And it's just like, is this is this good offense, like, on a fast break? Like, just attack the rim and try and draw a foul also, if you have the numbers advantage, even if you don't hit the the first shot, there's a decent chance you're getting the boards, especially because you have like the three biggest players on this break too. So, exactly. Yeah. So it's just just questionable stuff there. But this game, just brutal play from the Raptors guards. Fred VanVleet was one of nine minus sixteen. Gary Trent was two of seven minus seventeen overall. Like yeah. just the Raptors guards just got annihilated this game on on both ends. Like, and I thought. 
you know, Trey Young gets gets dumped on a lot on defense. I thought he competed on on defense. The Raptors like almost never took advantage of him being on the floor. And to some extent, that's obviously the Hawks' scheme is to sort of <laughs> prevent Trey Young from from being brutalized. But also, he made some nice plays in transition and just you know being active hands, trying to stay in front of guys. I thought he wasn't terrible on defense this game. Yeah. Yeah, and if the Raptors couldn't get him in like a one-on-one matchup in the post, it's like they don't really have great ways to attack him on the perimeter with Freddie playing was, the way he is. There was one possession down the stretch where uh, Freddie did a pick and roll with Scotty Barnes and Scotty used the ball handler and they got Trey Young switched on to him. And you just kept trying to do these like shimmy moves, like trying to like cross Trey Young over as opposed to just like putting him underneath the basket. And he ended up... He ended up. He should have turned the ball over because he passed it straight to two Hawks defenders, but they both grabbed the ball and ended up popping loose for the Raptors, who ended up missing a shot. But like, yeah, it's just a perplexing play from Scotty. Like you're trying to shimmy out this guy that you have a hundred pounds on. I don't know. Yeah, he he had a few wasted possessions. There was a couple times where he was really holding the ball for too long, trying yeah. to set something up, and it just never materialized. And then the shot clock's winding down, and they'd either like have to chuck up a shot at the buzzer or there was one time where they just couldn't even get a shot off before the shot clock expired. And it's like, yeah. these, these are some learning mistakes from Scotty, but you know, still, like we said before, process wise, I thought this was a better game from him and the aggression. I will say the, the Hawks were on a back to back, which back to back on the road. is just like, they're at a huge disadvantage this game. You know, this was a schedule like, loss for them and the Raptors couldn't take advantage. Yeah. And totally. they also, like, I think partly because they're in a back-to-back, they didn't really have time to, like, do a practice or a scout on the Raptors. So they didn't guard Scotty Barnes how how teams have been guarding him lately, I think, because they didn't have the time to go over it for, like, how they're going to defensively strategize for it. So they just thought, we're going to play our base defense. And they guarded Scotty on the perimeter, right? So, you know, they, I think they, they left a lot on the table in terms of what they could have done to the Raptors on defense. And maybe they got a bit of fortune and just the Raptors missed a lot of layups and a lot of threes. But process-wise, like uh, it wasn't amazing from the Hawks and they still won. Yeah. I, I do think the Scotty, like not guarding him on the perimeter stuff, I don't think that's a long-term strategy because I, I do think that opens up a lot of better shooting options for the Raptors guards. And part of like playing him tightly is when, because he's setting a ton of screens yeah, but but you you only that. go up when he sets a screen, right? And then as soon as he gets the ball, you drop way back. Whereas when he they were if he was ball handling three point line, they had someone within six feet of him, right? Which is you know not I don't think necessary. I don't think the optimal way to play against him. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm I'm not convinced it's it's a great strategy. I think it's a bit gimmicky. And as he gets if he gets used to it. It's like a they were getting they were adapting by setting a ton of screens with it and forcing the center to come up, but then also like it gives him a runway to attack his man in the paint, and I don't know if that's necessarily great either. Like I think we still see Scotty, especially in this game, Trey Young when he was trying to dribble on fast breaks. Scott like when Scotty was Trey Young would dart up and challenge him, and Scotty would have to pick up his dribble. Like there's still stuff where I think challenging scotty on the ball yes can improve can that also he can be actually good. be a yeah. ball handler is a, is probably still a better maybe, maybe the takeaway is that there's a lot of ways to guard scotty barnes and all of them are good <laughs> um, sure but it's also like you know scotty is absolutely growing as a player 
And I, I, I didn't come away from this game being like, oh, Scotty Barnes is puke. It's like, this was a good Scotty game. Yeah, he might have actually been the best Raptor this game. I thought in defense, he did a pretty good job. Yeah, uh, defensively, he was pretty solid. If we want to, if we want to, what are, what are your takeaways for the Raptors this week? And I'll go first here. Number one, Precious is back. He made an impact in every single game. He played uh, 27 minutes against the Hawks, like leading, leading minutes guy off the bench. Uh, aggressive on offense, got to the rims. It doesn't always work out. Like sometimes he's going to take bad shots, but he's also just creating on offense, which is what Precious was doing at the end of the season last year. And then on defense, he looks great again. So if you're looking for silver linings for this week for the Raptors, Precious Achua being back in the rotation and making an impact is certainly up there. Yeah, that might that might be like the only silver lining that we can come up with for this week. I I I feel like the bench rotations, like Precious Achua, is the only guy that I'm looking forward to coming off the bench. <laughs> You're absolutely right about that. I, it's like I think there's a there's a world where they start where they start Precious Achua and maybe bring Gary off the bench or something like that. I just like I think he's. I mean, they're probably trying to ramp back his minutes and they don't want to be playing him 40 minutes a game. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's coming. I mean, that's certainly possible. I wouldn't rule out anything at this point. Nick Nurse is not afraid to experiment. And we're seeing that with some of these bench lineups. Like, that was another takeaway this week is from game to game, these rotations just feel all over the place. In the Hawks game, there was a couple bench lineups where it's four bench guys and OG Ananobi. And it's like Malachi Flynn is in there, so there's a little bit of ball handling. But <laughs> there were some head-scratching lineups where I'm like, is this really your best look that you can give? Like, OG with the bench guys doesn't make a ton of sense to me. It would make a lot more sense if it was Fred or Scotty or Siakam. Those are your three primary creators. And I feel like you need one of those guys with the bench lineups. And on offense, those lineups looked absolutely lost. <laughs> it was like... If that's true for the like ball, any he of the bench shooting. lineups. Yeah, yeah. It's just the, the I don't standard know. is lost. If they do anything better than that, then I think you keep doing it. But right now, that's the norm. <laughs> but it's like that's I don't know. Yeah, it's a sign of a problem. We'll say. Yeah. Like it just it just feels haphazard. Coloco and Malachi Flynn are still the first guys coming off the bench in the first quarter, but then. Post that, like, I think Coloco only played seven minutes the last game, even though he's one of the first guys off the bench. It's like they do a little stretch, and then then you realize, oh, wait, yeah, Precious is our by far our best guy off the bench. We should be playing him way more minutes. I don't know why he's not the first guy off the bench. Just, like, these things feel kind of random. It's like they have little yeah. set rotation plays, and then and they then just the veer away from it, them yeah. as soon as yeah. they realize, like, wait a second, why is this guy in the game still? Like, why is Coloco <laughs> playing when Precious yeah. Achua exists? Yeah. So it just feels like Nick Nurse is just grasping at things because he knows nothing is working. I have a crazy idea here, and I don't know if this is going to catch on. I want to call, I want to start calling Fred Vanvli, Fred Fre Vanvli, because you can just take the D out of his name because he can't stay in front of anyone anymore. Like, I'm actually, there's like a small part of me is just worried that like he's, his athleticism has just declined by a bit, by a little bit to now where he just can't guard point of attack anymore. 
it's like he's still there with the help, you know, the hands, you know, help the chipping in on the rebounds. Like he's always going to do that. He's going to be able to do that until he's 40, right? But just he can't stay in front of people anymore. It's it's alarming how bad he is at the point of attack. Yeah, it does make you wonder if the injuries that he's had the last couple of years that have kind of been lingering, ongoing things, they definitely seem to have sapped a little bit of his speed and agility. And it's not drastic enough that it's like, He's not super noticeable player. all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, he's still a competent player, but defensively, he was elite. He was talking. He was in the discussion for all defense last year as a guard, right? Yeah, until he got hurt, he was awesome on defense, and I I thought he was one of the best defenders in the NBA. Like he was all over the place, and we just haven't seen the return of that. Like, yeah, the hands are still there. The it's IQ not even is average. still there. It's, it's terrible. But yeah, just the on-ball defense, it's it's tough for him now. And yeah, maybe, I mean, it might be time to cut bait here and try and move him if you can get anything for him. I just don't see things getting better for this team. All right, Aaron, I think this translates perfectly into our next segment about the trade deadline and the Raptors upcoming schedule here. So the trade deadline is on February 9th, just four weeks away from now. And the Raptors, they've got 13 games before the trade deadline, 13 games for Masai and Bobby Webster to determine the direction of this franchise. Are we tanking? Are we fighting for the play-in or fighting for next season. I don't know what we'd be fighting for at this point, honestly. It feels it feels hopeless to me. <laughs> but 13 games for them to take the blinds off their eyes and realize that this team needs to tank. And 10 of those games are on the road. This upcoming week, we've got games against the New York Knicks, Milwaukee Bucks, Minnesota Timberwolves, all on the road. And then a, finally a home game but it's against the Boston Celtics. So, you know, this is potentially an 0-4 week. And the schedule after that doesn't really get any easier. So after- the, actually, like, there's there's two back-to-backs, Monday and Tuesday at New York, at Milwaukee, and then Saturday, Sunday is at home to the Celtics and at home to the Knicks. So there's five games and seven nights, including two back-to-backs with three of them on the road. So it, it's, a tough, then- it's a tough slate. Just adding on to that, at, right after that, after that back-to-back, we're back on the road. The next game after that is on the, the West Coast. Coast a little bit of break, but there's yeah. seven games on the road. They're on against the Sacramento, Coast, yeah. Golden State, Portland, Phoenix, Utah, and then one game against the Houston Rockets, and then the Memphis Grizzlies. Like This is a murderer's road. There's one game in there that they're probably favored against the opposing team, the Houston Rockets. All those other games, you have to think they're underdogs, either because they're on the road or they're against a better team. Yeah, yeah, Devin Booker could be back. You know, yeah, there's. We're gonna find out what this team is made of, and I don't know if we're gonna like the answer, Uh, (laughs) but at least Precious is back, so maybe we'll get we'll get him doing some some fun stuff. But you're absolutely right. Like this is yeah, ten of thirteen against the on the road. The West Coast swings are always tough because they're away from home for over two plus weeks. Uh, and you know that that is where the decisions are going to be made about this team's future. And we, I don't think we've talked about this enough this year. Just sort of what the contracts look like for the Raptors, because Fred VanVleet is a potential free agent. Gary Trent is a potential free agent. I think they both have uh, have player options for next season. 
it's it's easier to imagine a world where they both opt in now to to those contracts, but you kind of need to make a decision on that uh, if you're going to extend them or not. OG Ananobi has a player option after this season. He's basically unextendable because of the way the extensions work right now. You could you could offer him an extension worth way below what what he's worth. So there's no reason for him to sign that. So if you're if you're trading him, like this is this is basically the season to do that. Uh, Pascal Siakam will have one more year on his deal. So you, if you want to keep him, you're probably going to need to extend him this off season so that he doesn't go into free agency. They just have a lot of decisions to make on ba- basically every relevant veteran on this team. They need to make a decision on either the trade deadline or this offseason. And if you know that you don't see them in your big picture for this team, you, now is the time to move. So, like, they, there, is no, there is no backing out of this decision. There's no way they can punt it. And I think doing nothing is... It's certainly an option, but it just makes this offseason that much more complicated and tough for this team. Yeah, and I think the guards especially, those are the guys, it's like, yes, if you don't trade OG and Anobi, I think his value goes down next season because he'd just be a one-year rental for whatever team is trading for him. But Freddie and Gary, I think, are both pretty likely to opt out, even with Freddie's down season. He's only going to be getting paid $23 million on his player option next year. And you have to think, even with playing crappily, someone can talk someone into like paying four years at 100, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He can talk someone into paying him $25 million with how the salary cap keeps increasing. And Gary Trent is a lock to opt out of his contract. Like, there's no way he's taking a $19 million player option. He. He played bad in the last two games, but he'd seen a bit of a resurgence and his shooting percentages are back up for the season overall. Someone's going to give him a longer term deal and pay him north of $20 million a season. I think that's pretty much... Even as like a sixth or seventh man, like that's what they go for on on free agency, right? Like yeah. 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 And he, he, like, he's a valuable scorer. Like, he has a very useful skill in basketball. It's very important to put the ball in the basket and he can absolutely do that. And so I just, you have to make decisions on these guys. I don't think they can afford to pay all of them, especially with the just the structure of this team. With this lineup that's not successful, like what's the point in bringing all these players back and paying all of them? You're just going to be a team that's flirting with the luxury tax while also not winning basketball games. And that's just not where you want to be as an organization. And so... It, at least some of these guys are getting traded. I don't know whether the Raptors will go with a full-blown tank because I feel like they do love having options and being flexible. And it's I think it's a pretty tough sell to be like, yeah, we're going to trade away Pascal Siakam when he's this all-NBA level player. He's playing like a top 15 guy. It's really hard to get those players. And do you just want to give them away for I think, to I think go, you, take a you, huge step back? Like You're absolutely right that that's tough to do. But if you're talking about extending him, the only way Pascal is going to extend is if you give him a max offer, right? And then you're talking about paying a guy in his 30s, like 40 to $50 million a year. And yes, he's playing like a top 15 guy. I think he's more of a top 20, top 25 guy. And 
who I don't, he's not a tremendously skilled player in terms of like shooting or ball handling. I don't think his, his game is going to age especially well. Uh, and he might, he might age into being more of a role player than a, than a star or a superstar. So I think the minute he signs that, that extension, if, if that happens, he becomes a bad salary and a negative asset. So uh, I think that's, Pushing they, it a if, little you, if bit. you look at if you look at the history of guys that are not top ten players that sign these super max extensions, which he would be eligible for because he's made the All NBA team, it's it's horrific. Like we're talking John Wall, Blake Griffin, like the, these are the type of players that are the the comps for Pascal Siakam at this point in the career signing this kind of contract. It, All right. it, if you look at it, there's actually like not even a single one that has worked out well. So sure, sure. Okay, there, there's nuance to that, though. A, first off, I think we should pump the brakes on the Supermax talk. Just because he'll be eligible for a Supermax doesn't mean that's what he would get paid. I, I don't think they would. You think, pay him you think that Pascal Supermax. and his agent are going to be like, look, we're we made an all NBA team and you're going to you're not going to give me the max like the max is being handed out to guys that don't make all NBA teams, right? No like, one is getting paid the Supermax anymore except for like the top 10 players because people have realized how detrimental mm. it is. And and those guys that did get paid the Supermax, like Blake Griffin and John Wall, their injuries also played a factor sure, in their sure. rapid but, decline as well. Sure, but, yeah. Like a healthy Siakam... But let's, I, maybe, I, maybe I don't Bradley think Beal is, is a good comparison here. Like, is you know, you might be able to trade Bradley Beal for something, but I think it's going to be really tough, right? Like that that's kind of more like the level of player he is. And that's those those contracts are really tough. And as soon as you decline, they get really ugly really fast. And that's what the Raptors are looking at with, with Pascal in terms of like that level of contract. So I, yeah. it's, you know, it's a totally valid concern. I just don't really believe in the the predictability of player decline anymore because we've seen so many stars. Yeah, have started to age much more gracefully than you would have expected in the past. But and the I way think players can take at, care of their bodies unless they get injured. You have to look at them all individually, right? And sometimes we get surprised by how well someone ages, right? But yeah. I think you can kind of predict a little bit based on their game and like sort of what they're going to be able to do. Now, like Pascal, he could easily develop into like much a much better shooter and become more of a passer and distributor and sort of like, yes, rely less on athleticism, but still make a huge impact. That's possible. It's just, he hasn't been able to do that so far in his career. So, you know, yeah, him, but, him but his athleticism, that, it's, really it's tough not, to see. his athleticism isn't like above the rim. He's dunking. No, on it's, more, like it's more like speed and quickness. Right? There's, but, there's more craftiness to it. And yeah, I could see that aging better than someone like Blake Griffin did. And it's just like I think players can maintain their athleticism into their like 33, 34. You'll probably start seeing a drop off there. But it's like Steph Curry is still just as fast as he was like five years ago. Yeah, feels yeah. like Steph right. Like he hasn't lost now. a step at all. And it's like, sure, yeah. like maybe he's an alien and it's like it's a freak example. But I just until players actually start declining, it's like Kyle Lowry didn't really start declining until he was like 37, you know? Like <laughs> It's I just I don't think he's thirty-seven right now. They're <laughs> <laughs> like thirty-five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, these things aren't as predictable as they used to be, 
and, and so it's like yes if he signs if he signs a supermax i didn't i'd be worried that's pretty much instantly a bad contract because i don't i wouldn't trust him to maintain a top 15 caliber of play for the next three four or five years like i think on the average he's probably you're right he's closer to 20 to 25th but it's like it is still tough to just trade away great players like that. But it, I mm-hmm. think in this situation, it just makes sense because you don't have the pieces around him to have a real contender. The timing is just wrong. There's been too much of a talent drain with this team. Scotty Barnes is your only young, promising player that can really develop into something more than what they are now. And that's just not good enough to like elevate this team and and so you need to get more prospects you need to get more young talent and the best way to do that is to trade away the all your best guys and so you're missing one name there like precious is also a guy worth keeping around long term but yeah for sure but it's it's tough to see precious turning into a star like i think precious is going to be a good player (laughs) really no Aaron, if you don't think scotty has touch i like Precious around the rim. Also Precious has a lot more athletic athleticism, sorry, and defensive potential. Uh, and he's also a better shooter. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I don't I don't see superstar potential with Precious, but I think he could be a really good starter for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Precious, you're right. He he is a promising young player as well. But but yeah, you have two guys on your team that you're like excited about the future for, right? Yeah, and I don't think you see superstar with either of them, but yeah. So if this team, like to me, if they don't trade away their top four guys in Siakam, Fred, Gary, and OG, those vets, I think this is like an unmitigated disaster of a trade deadline for them because I don't think you're going to yeah. get as much value. In I honestly the think season. like just just getting rid of them, you don't even need to get that much back. I think you just need to take the best offer on the table. Because that's the best decision for the franchise, and I don't, I don't think you need to be like have this kind of threshold where like, oh, we need three first round picks for OG, we need you know four first round picks for Siakam. Like, I don't, I don't think you need to have these sort of must gets for these players. I think it's just we need to trade them, and whatever offer is out there, we need to take it. Like, I think you gotta, you gotta look at the trade deadline with desperation that way. Yeah, I kind of agree, but. With that being said, I, I do think it is the totally the right time to be on the market with these guys. Like it's yeah. it's definitely a seller's market, and there's going to be a lot of offers that I'm sure they can get a bidding war going for each of these guys. From the reporting around the league, no one believes that these players suck. They just think that the situation in Toronto has kind of run its course. So I think teams believe that all these players are still good individual players, and that just for whatever reason it hasn't worked out as a team. So it's not like people are like low on these players overall. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with, especially with Siakam and OG, like their play this year has been really solid. The guards, it's been much more up and down, but even with Fred Van Vliet, I think you're still going to get value for him. You're not just going to have to dump his salary. I think there's teams around the league that look at Fred and be like, oh yeah, he can bounce back with us. He he can fit on our team. He's a really smart, savvy player. I think teams are would be excited to get him in like a six man role kind of space or as you know an off ball guy, and so I think you'll be surprised at the value that we can get from him. I know there's been like there's been so much chatter among Raptors fans. I I hear this with people that I talk to that about the Raptors on a daily basis. 
that just hate Fred Van Vliet and the way he's played this season and are so out on him as a player. But, you know, Fred is still valuable and I think we could totally get a first round pick for him. Yeah. I I mean, if you're talking like first round pick from a playoff team. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, those don't yeah. have the most value because you're, you're probably talking in the 20s. But, but yeah, I think you could get something back for him. Um, and hopefully not like lots of long term toxic salary back. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it would just have to be a salary dump. But yeah. So I just, I mean, so maybe the bright side of this tough schedule coming up is that you know, whether the Raptors want to or not, they might just end up tanking and piling up a lot of losses here with their great player, like with the good players that they still have. And so it might not end up hurting the tankathon too much, which is, I guess, a silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, uh, <laughs> it's a very bright way of looking at it. Just to update the tankathon numbers, the Raptors are tied for 11th in the East. There are, they're tied with uh, Chicago at 19 and 24. There's four teams behind them in the standings, uh, Washington, Orlando, both of those teams you could see like uh, taking over the passing the Raptors there in record by the end of the season, which would basically leave you with the Raptors being the third worst in the East with Detroit and uh, Charlotte uh, behind them. I don't think that that is reasonable to, to expect them to, to come back. And then if you look out West, there's only San Antonio and Houston that are definitely going to be behind the Raptors. So like th- there's, there's room here to have the fifth worst record in the league, which is, you know, you got, you got really good odds at Wemby and Scoot if, if that's where you end up. So yeah, optimistic that they could lose a lot of games in the next few weeks here. Yeah, the time is ripe to strike. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, Ben, we made a bunch of preseason predictions. And with Raptors being 19-24, we're just a hair past the the midseason point. I know we did our midseason grades for the Raptors, but let's give ourselves some midseason grades. How did we do with our preseason predictions? I looked at this before and doing the prep for a podcast. Some definite hits for both of us. And also some some big whiffs. So let's get this started here with our MVP predictions. All right. I'm going to read what you had, and I'm going to give you a grade on it. All right. So you had Giannis number one. That's not bad. Doncic number two, also not bad. Embiid at number three, not, not terrible. Jokic at number four. Probably like to see him a bit higher if, if things are being reflected uh, currently. And then LeBron at number five, which seems kind of ludicrous since he's kind of taken a bit of a step back this year. Um, yeah. Not so. That was a dark horse pick. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you like a B plus for, for that MVP. You got, you know, Giannis Doncic and Jokic in there, who I think are probably the top three guys right now. So if I'm not missing yeah. anyone, because Katie has been hurt. So Yeah. That's, yeah, you know, pretty solid. I think the, the top of the NBA, though, I feel like it's not that hard to get the right guys in your top five because there's just, you know, there's five incredible players. So there's like 10 incredible players. In the yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you're going to get some of them up there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to read off yours, Aaron? Yeah. And g- give me a grade. Be, be objective if you can. 
All right, I'll try my best to not just give you an F. All right, so number one, you've got Doncic. That's a good pick. Then Giannis. Then number three is Jokic. Number four was Zion, your sneaky dark horse pick, which Mm. doesn't look as crazy as it did in the preseason. Mm. Number five is Embiid. So, you know, at the top, I think Doncic is probably the clubhouse favorite right now. But I don't actually know what the betting odds are anymore. I feel I like Jokic, Jokic is actually favored. Yeah. Like, I feel like Jokic is probably the guy that deserves it. But Doncic has also been having such an incredible season that it's just, it's, it's, it's tough right now. There's not a lot of space between these guys. It could go either way. I don't think it's like a clear front runner at this point because the narrative stuff for Doncic, he's doing spectacular stuff every game and just carrying a Mavs team by himself to being. Yeah, about 500. (laughs) In the middle of contention, which, speaking of the Mavs, like, they dropped Brunson for nothing in this offseason, and he has been playing incredible for the Knicks. Yeah, he might be an all-star. He's probably going to be an all-star this season in the East, which, you know, with how competitive the talent pool is in the league for all-star stuff, there's a lot of great players that are vying for it. It's not like the East all-stars of old where yeah, Kyle Eastern Lowry would get in with 15 All-Star. points yeah. per game. Yeah. <laughs> Sabonis would be like, yeah, just like, Oh, you get, you get like 16 and 10. So you're in. Yeah. Yeah. It's like anyone with any counting stats was getting Kyle into Corver, I think made an all-star game. At one point. Oh boy. Yeah. That, that was a stretch. So like if they had Brunson still and they just didn't drop him like that, pretty potentially a really bad mistake there for them because they're kind of just seem to be wasting a Doncic season where it seems pretty clear that they don't have enough talent around him to be a true contender but the gap between mark cuban's perception as an owner versus his actual performance as an owner is massive mark cuban is like a bottom 10 maybe bottom five owner in the league the the mavericks regularly do deduct the luxury tax they don't get free agents they let go of guys that turn into good players or you know like Steve Nash was the guy that they let go. Jalen Brunson's the guy that they let go. Yeah, you know, the, the whole front office sexual harassment uh, thing happened under him. Like, yeah, the, the record as an owner is not great for Cuban. Yeah, yeah. But so your grades, Aaron, I think you get credit for having Zion, although he's hurt now, isn't he? And he's probably going to slip out of the... Yeah, but I think I should get credit because he's legit been a top 10 player in the league. So right. better, MVP, better than LeBron. MVP is really top five. Until he got hurt. So, yeah. Until he got hurt, he was like, oh, you got to mention him at like six or seven. So I mean, LeBron's also been good. But yeah, this is, you know, it's a, I like the Zion pick. I'm going to give you an A here because I think oh, your, your yes. top three is really solid. Um, those guys, I think, are the top three in contention for MVP right now. And yeah, I don't really have any. Huge faults with it. Good picks, Aaron. All right. All right. Our next one, Rookie of the Year. Um, so I'll just read both of ours. We both had Bancaro at one. Super solid. That's a W. I had Matherin at two, who's been really solid as a rookie. You had Tari Eason, who's struggling to get minutes on the Rockets. That's because both... the Rockets are stupid. <laughs> and then we both had Keegan Murray at three, which he's, he's been solid as well. Uh, so in terms of grades here, I'm definitely going to get a higher grade because I had a legitimate player at number two. And I, I feel pretty good about my ballot in terms of like how it'll end up. Um, 
So maybe we'll self-assess here. I think I should get an A for this, for my this entry here. Well, you know what? I think I should get an A+. Tari Eason, defensive advanced numbers, super high on Tari Eason. They love who he is as a defender. How is he on offense? You know, I'd say he's like a young Precious Achua on offense. <laughs> like the beginning of last season, Precious Achua, where he had the we'll worst say shoot enigmatic is a good word to describe him. Yeah. <laughs> Volatile. Mysteriously bad. <laughs> Confounding. But... Yeah. You know, there's there's promise there as player. Of maybe uh, maybe it, a little too calling, early on him. No one's calling him a bust, but just in terms of rookie of the year, I don't think he's relevant. Yeah. Maybe maybe a little too early because rookie of the year, they just go with the guy who scores the most points. This stupid NBA people don't understand basketball. <laughs> so I got off my high horse here. Yeah, I took a swing and missed. But Bank, who cares? You know, rookie of the year, you get the first guy right, you get all the points. I get an A as well. <laughs> Okay, I'll give myself an A plus then. Okay. <laughs> All right, most improved player here. Uh, you picked Tyrese Maxey, Akongwu, who we just saw last night, and Anthony Edwards. I don't know if any of those guys are in the discussion for most improved player. They're, um, not. They're not. I picked De'Aaron Fox and Duncan Robinson. <laughs> Duncan Robinson is certainly not. De'Aaron Fox, uh, maybe, maybe. He's no. been pretty good. He's been good, but not most improved. Yeah, I don't even know who would win most improved right now. It's probably Halliburton. Yeah, Hall- Halliburton. Yeah, Halliburton's a good pick. Who actually Gavin had number one. So good, uh, good for Gavin there getting on yeah. Halliburton. Best record in the league, Ben. You said the Philadelphia 76ers, and I said the Denver Nuggets. If I look at the standings right now, Philadelphia is fourth in the east whereas the denver nuggets are first in the west there's only three games apart there but uh i feel like i'm winning that one although if i'm being honest i think boston is the team that is just gonna have the best record yeah yeah boston seems like the clear favorite and honestly probably would have been the preseason favorite maybe they still were i don't know what the odds were but like they just had so much drama before the season started that it was tough to really predict them to thrive this season but they haven't missed a beat proving that coaching really doesn't matter it's all a well mirage. i think i think it, coaching does matter and that the, you can have coaches that actively hurt your team um but if you have a coach that is like not bad um which i think there's plenty of guys that that are helpful coaches if you look at the team's records of hiring sort of young guys who are well-regarded assistants. Uh, they, have, they have a really good track record right now. You're looking at like Will Hardy, you know, obviously from the Boston tree, like Mozilla has been doing really well. Like obviously Udoka was a good coach last year, but just across the league, the teams that hire young coaches who haven't been head coaches before and haven't failed at it, you know, seem to do really well. And then you and also even, have Jacques Bond, who does seems to be doing really well. Yeah, and like, but you also retread Mike. Mike Brown seems to have learned a lot, and his you know it's been a long time since he's been a head coach, and you know Sacramento's doing really well. It seems like he's had a positive impact there. They're running creative offensive stuff, which he did not do last time he was a head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this this league is just chock full of coaching talent, and I think the worst thing you can do is once you know that your coach isn't helping your team, is just holding on to him. Nate McMillan yeah Yeah, I totally agree all right so I think you know you probably get a B for this one because I don't think it's going to hold true and I probably get a B minus the Sixers are starting to roll a little bit you know Harden and Embiid are healthy so 
they're going to have a good record. I don't think either of us whiffed too hard. No, no. All Swing, right. Depen- contact. This one was a huge whiff for me. Defensive player of the year, Ben. Read him out. <laughs> so you picked Gobert. Oh, <laughs> and I picked Embiid. Neither of us is looking good on this one. <laughs> no, but Gobert... There's a real argument to be made that you'd rather have Walker Kessler than Rudy Gobert right now. And Gobert, I mean, he should have been my entry for the next category if I could mm-hmm. do if hindsight was 2020. But yeah, not not in the conversation for defensive player of the year at all. Yeah, and, and neither is Embiid. I think the people that are in the conversation, it's probably like Bam Adebayo, yeah. Nick Claxton. Yeah. Not know. not a great year for defensive player of the year. Draymond for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, OG was in the conversation at the start, but the but Raptors, a, the way they've been playing, he's I also just, a perimeter player. I just I just think the perimeter player should be banned from winning this. Like the Marcus Smart yeah. last year, Brook Lopez is another yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. real real down year for defensive player of the year. Yeah, not that exciting. Okay, Aaron. Biggest flop player. This was our own made-up category, veering away from the awards because the NBA would never would be too scared to give out this award. Yeah. But unlike the NBA, we have nothing to lose because we have nothing. We have no clout. So, <laughs> Aaron, yours, your pick was Tyler, Tyler Hero. Yeah. Explain. Been, I mean, I just I think that the whole sort of basing a game off of long twos and bad defense is just not a great archetype. He's been good this year, but like not necessarily better than last year. Calling him a flop, I think, would be too strong. So I think I missed on this one, but yeah. I don't think he's exactly been like, you know, this was carrying the heat either. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. sorry, he's not a flop. <laughs> yeah, this, not is, a flop. this is just not a flop. yeah, just wrong. I picked Cat. Pretty good. Well, Pretty he's good. he's been injured for the past two months. But before that, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't going well. But his his relationship with Gobert was quickly called into question, yeah. and just like they seem to have no chemistry on they, the court. The, the fit doesn't work. The fit doesn't work. Yes. and yeah. Minnesota continues to underwhelm when Cat should be their star superstar. It's just it's not happening. Cat's a flop, but I don't know if he's the biggest flop. I'm trying to think about who would be the biggest flop <laughs> this year. Yeah, probably Gobert. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. Yeah. Other people that uh, that did this for us. Chris Paul, I guess, would also be a big flop this yeah. year. He's, he's definitely taken a big Just step back. All of Houston. I don't, I don't know. know. You need to have expectations to flop. That's true. Um, yeah, Gavin put Zion. <laughs> who um he said if if he misses the rest of the season he would be a flop but I, I disagree i think going to going into next year then you'd expect really big things from the pelicans biggest flop team is our next category and we each put down two teams here ben you put down the miami heat and the memphis grizzlies how do you feel about that the miami heat are now 24 and 20 after recovering from a pretty bad start to the season and the Memphis Grizzlies are 29-13, tied for the Denver Nuggets for first in the West. And John Morant just keeps destroying centers. People yeah. are going to just stop contesting him at the rim. He is just destroying his, people. His his He's, career dunk like highlight thing is just like going to be insane. It already is insane. 
Yeah, this is a guy that needs to go to the dunk contest. It's like not having... I think the NBA should just force players to do the dunk contest. I don't yeah. think it should be optional. It should be like, no, Ja, you're doing it. Zion, like, you're doing it. Yeah, the, they're yeah. bringing in people from the G League because no one from the NBA wants to do it. Yeah, this guy Mac McClung, who I like, I think I've seen like a a highlight reel of him once. He's like the short white guy that has hops, but like he's not even in the NBA. He can't even crack it on an NBA team, and he's gonna be yeah. in the dunk it's contest. A, it's embarrassing. Like, that yeah. is. Like, it's just stupid. It's like, why are we having this event if you can't even get proper NBA players for it? Like, this is an NBA exposition. They have a G League They have a G League contest, too. Yeah. The G League All-Star game. If you're playing in the G League, that's where you go. Mm -hmm. It's just, this is silly. So, yeah. Neither neither of these teams is a flop. I think the Heat, like, a little bit of disappointment, but it's still too early in the season. They could, 20. That's that's fine. They're not great, though. It's yeah. like they're, they're in the play-ins, which with their title expectations... I think I think they will not be in the play-ins come the end of the season. Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable, too. So, you know what? Yeah, it's a bit of a miss. Your picks, Blazers, I would say the expectations for the Blazers weren't that high. So, like, they're... they're, they're you know. Yeah, but they're, like, sniffing the play-ins. They're, they're in that... Yeah. I, they, they haven't flopped i would say yeah and the then, suns absolutely have flopped yeah. but that's like also devin booker being hurt yeah like chris paul absolutely that he is on the slippery slope of decline right now he does not have any juice anymore so he can't really be an offensive creator unto himself like he used to be and so without Devin Booker, this and team's offense is dead. We saw in the playoffs last year where teams started attacking Chris Paul for the first time in his career. And now teams just do it all the time relentlessly. You know, yeah. once his, he was this two-way magic guard who could create an offense and then on defense, no one would go near him, right? And then now all of a sudden he can't do that on really either end anymore. So yeah, the, the decline has arrived. Yeah, and Phoenix is kind of in trouble. They're 10th right now in the West, and Devin Booker's still hurt. By the time he comes back, it's like they might not be able to make it out of the play-ins. And this is a team that went to the finals and then was had the best record in the league last year. And now all of a sudden, they, like, they might not even make the playoffs this year. And, and the only player on their team that was old, like they had such a beautiful young core with Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges. And now like just Chris Paul's decline, all of a sudden this team, it looks like their championship window is just slammed closed, which it's like, it just, it really emphasizes how like short <laughs> these title windows are. It's like, if you have an opportunity at a championship, you have to go for it. Yeah. And, and, you know, they still, they own their entire draft, like first round picks and second round picks. They haven't made any moves I think this is sort of when you see the competitive disadvantage of having one of the worst owners in sports running your team where like they don't have a G League team. They don't really have scouting for their draft. So they, like, they inexplicably, you know, draft Jalen Smith and then cut him after two years, you know, just basically like not investing resources in your team. Yeah, they got lucky for a year or two in terms of hitting on a bunch of like, rotation pieces, but now that injuries are finally affecting this team and they, they just don't really have any depth and they're terrible now. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit ugly. 
All right, Aaron, let's move on to our next fun category, biggest surprise team. Yeah. So this is purely based on preseason expectations, kind of what we felt like the consensus around the league was wrong. And I think, honestly, these picks make us look like pretty intelligent NBA oh, yeah. fans these here. Are, these are home runs here, as opposed to the whiffs of the last few categories. Yeah. So you just put the Pellies. Yeah. Oh, dynamite pick for me. The Pelicans are 26 and 17, despite Brandon Ingram having basically not played this season and Zion Williamson now having missed a big chunk of it with his hamstring injury. But yeah, they're, they're a legit team. I don't think anyone wants to play them in the playoffs because Zion is such a fucking nightmare to play against. So I, I think their playoff equity is actually not that high because I think they have a lot of one-way players <laughs> and they're going to struggle to find like a closing lineup that can both defend and create on offense. Uh, but with that being said, they're a regular season machine and they, they're, they're deep, they're talented, and they have one of like some of the, you know, they have the best young, exciting player in the league. Yeah, when I look at the New Orleans Pelicans as a Raptors fan, I just get jealous because of how many offensive options they have. It's like, oh, Brandon Ingram's hurt. Zion's hurt. They still have CJ McCollum and Jonas Valanciunas, who you can just run good offense through. Yeah, It's like, if we have Pascal Siakam out, all of a sudden, we have no one that we can run good offense through. Yeah, Alvarado's like, been like four a of these options. Yeah. yeah, just so many. All their young guys seem solid. Yeah, Dyson Daniels, Trey Murphy, like all their draft picks, they may not turn into stars, but they can Group play. Notes. Yeah, they yeah. can all play. Like, yeah, this, mm-hmm. this team has done a great job. Just, you know, they have, they're a team that's stacked full of legit NBA players. Like I said, I don't know how it's going to fit in the playoffs, but in the regular season, you know, it doesn't matter who's playing, they're going to be competitive. Yeah. Yeah, Ben, you had Sacramento making the playoffs, which I think their over-under was at 36 wins before the season. So that would require them, I think, to be over 500. Because I assume when you meant make the playoffs, you didn't mean just win from the play-ins. I assumed you meant top six seed. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say that now. I think when I had it in (laughs) mind, it was like just making the playoffs. Even if it was out of the play-ins, that would still count. Because um, when you win those play-in games, like you are in the playoffs then. But right now they're sitting at fourth in the West, 23 and 18. De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis are both playing like all-stars. Sabonis in particular, they're running offense through him. He's like this point center, kind of like Jokic, but he's like more bruising and just a just no one can guard him in the post. He's so strong. And I guess, I mean, Jokic does that too, but I feel like Sabonis just makes you feel a little bit more. <laughs> and offensively, this team is dynamite. They just put a bunch of shooters around those two guys and just run pick and rolls. And and no one can really stop them. I, we saw earlier in the season, the Raptors just could not guard their pick and roll offense. And no one in the league can, it turns out. So it's defensively, you know, in the playoffs, is this team going to be that scary? I don't know. Yeah, but I think they, they're going to struggle to get stops in the playoffs. I don't really think they have really any kind of equity. But they could they could win a first-round matchup depending on who they play and if they get lucky with injuries and whatnot. But, you know, that's, that's obviously a massive success for Sacramento. They still got crushed in that trade. But, uh, yeah, happy for them. Light the beam is amazing. 
Yeah. I feel like that trade is is kind of turning into a win-win. Like, with how good Sabonis has been for them, it's like, yeah, Halliburton's absolutely thriving in Indiana, but Sabonis is also thriving in Sacramento. Yeah, (laughs) but you look at it being like, does Sabonis have any kind of playoff equity, right? And I think the answer is is more of a no there, just because he can't defend the rim and he can't defend on the perimeter. So people had those same criticisms for Jokic. Yeah, and Jokic is in a like three tiers above Sabonis offensively, <laughs> and he probably is also still a better defender. But uh, yeah, um, he's definitely a better defender. So. Yeah, yeah, there's absolutely question but, marks but, around. But people also have like play. legit question marks about Jokic in terms of like, yeah, he's a great regular season player, but is he a top five postseason player? I think I'm super excited to watch the, the playoffs to find that out because you know Jokic has been you know maybe maybe he'll be back to back to back MVP, but not a top five player because of the, the defense in the playoffs. So you know, yeah, I think that's that's still a legit question. Yeah, assuming the Nuggets are healthy this season. If they fail in the playoffs, then I think you're going to start seeing a lot of question marks. But I just, Jokic is so good that it's just like, even if he's not an amazing defender, you know. Yeah, I think I, I think they could, I, I am in the belief that they can still win without, they could have an average, even below average defense, but be so good on offense if they still win. I think that's possible. It's, we, it's hard to see teams do that. There's not really teams that win with average defenses, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. So I'm excited to see what'll I mean I'll I'll be watching as many Nuggets games as I can come to playoffs. Yeah, for sure. All right. So we're both geniuses. I think we've determined that. We both get A pluses, I I think, for those picks. I think those are maybe the two biggest storylines of of the season so far, and we nailed them. Uh, ben, let's go to our East and West and NBA finals winners here. You picked the well we both picked the clippers to win the west let's start there how do we feel about that now at mid-season <laughs> mid-season not super hot they're they're 22 and 22 i honestly thought they would have an easier time in the regular season they just they never play Kawhi. like Kawhi just plays like five games a season it seems like and paul george is sit they're resting so many players that I don't know. They just haven't been great. I still feel like come playoff time, no one's going to want to play this team, assuming that they're healthy. But like, it's it's a tough road when you're coming in out of the play-ins, or even if they're like the sixth seed, it's like you're going to not have home court advantage in any round. Yeah, it's, I, I I'm not losing faith yet, but it, like I don't feel better about it than I did. <laughs> I probably feel a little bit worse, but. I think I might still pick the Clippers to come out of the West just because I don't know if I believe totally in the Nuggets or the Pelicans or the Grizzlies as playoff teams. You know, the Warriors, certainly, if they're if they're totally healthy, they're a great team. I don't know if they're going to be just because they're all so old. You know, so... Like, yeah. yeah the, the, the Clippers, if they're healthy, I feel like might still be the best team in the West, so... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to like back off this pick or, you know, say it was a bad pick now just because, you know, yeah, it, didn't, it wouldn't shock me if you told me at the beginning of the season they were 500 in midseason, right? Yeah, I don't think these regular season standings matter too much because 
I totally agree that the Clippers, Warriors, and to me, the Nuggets, I think the Nuggets are probably my favorite to come out of the West right now if I had to pick. So you would but change your pick? I think I would. I don't, I don't know but, that I would. But to me, the top tier is the Nuggets, Warriors, and Clippers. Even though the Warriors right now are also, they're 21 and 21 as well. They, they have the same 500 record as the Clippers do. Yeah. But just those teams, I, I feel like their playoff performance, obviously the Warriors are the Warriors. And the Clippers when they have this fully healthy version of themselves are a team that everyone in the NBA is terrified of. And so we just have to actually see that in action. And so far we haven't seen much of it in the regular season. Agreed. So yeah, let's go to the East. Yeah, let's go to the East. So I had the Boston Celtics and you had the Philadelphia 76ers. I feel great about my pick. Uh, Do you feel great about your pick? I don't feel bad about it i think the celtics are the clear favorite like if i could change my pick yeah the celtics are the obvious choice to come out of the east tatum and brown have both taken a leap i think they might be strong another step forward i think is more accurate. yeah but i think once you're at like a at a point where you're at like as good as jason tatum was last season getting even better to me is is impressive like he keeps yeah he keeps progressing forwards we'll say and they're juggernauts and that team is just so well-rounded they have so many options they're yeah, so the malcolm brogdon trade is just like fantastic how did they just get malcolm brogdon for yeah they're they're legit like. you know eight eight deep with like a stellar playoff rotation right and they can they can defend both playing small and big you know they yeah, this team, I think, is the best team in the league. And I will change my finals pick uh, when we get there. That being said, though, the Sixers, I still do feel like have a real chance. Embiid, do still they totally unguardable. So Harden, amazing. The Harden's Sixers, been playing well. The, the problem with the Sixers is their perimeter defense if they're playing Harden and Maxi, like, can they stop anyone? Do they need to stop anyone when they can outscore everybody? But like, let's think about the Celtics matchup here, right? Like, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Oh, it is it, definitely tough. I, I don't think they'd be favored against the Celtics or probably the Bucks when they're full strength. But I think they definitely have a chance. Like just Embiid is such a problem that like no matter how good your defense is, you can't really guard him. And if Harden's playing in top form, which you know we we rarely see in the playoffs, and I think the Celtics are a really tough matchup for him. Who knows? I I certainly wouldn't pick them, but they still have a chance. Sure, sure they they have a, they have a chance. All right, so then in the NBA Finals, uh, you picked the Sixers to be champions against the Clippers. I picked the Clippers to beat the Celtics. How do you feel about your finals pick? Would you change it? For me, I would change it to the Celtics. And yeah, I I would certainly change it. Would you change it from the Sixers? Uh, I mean, you said that you wouldn't pick the Sixers to come out of the East if you could redo it. So I'm assuming you would change your, your finals pick as well. I'm not sure that I would. I think the top tier of contenders in the East is stronger than the contenders coming out of the West. So I think whoever comes out of the East is probably going to be favored in the finals. And so 
whether that's Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly. I think almost all. Yeah, Cleveland, we'll have to see. I love Cleveland. They're great, but I'm not quite sure they're ready for the finals. Uh, But any of those top four teams, I think you match them up against the Nuggets or the Warriors or the Clippers. They're not they're not feeling bad about that matchup. So, you know, if the Sixers do come out, I'm going to stick to my gun, say the Sixers. I think they'd have a they'd create a nightmare matchup for the Clippers where no one can guard and beat on that team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You might be right. would foul out in about 15 minutes. <laughs> you might be right, but also <laughs> you'd have to guard on the perimeter. So yeah, they might go bear them. All right. Then we have an email to get to before we wrap here. Uh, why don't you do the honors? All right. Hi, Aaron and Ben. First of all, I want Ben and all the listeners to know I played volleyball against Aaron this week. He's pretty good, but not good enough to avoid me blocking his spikes straight into the floor. Damn, Aaron, you're washed up, eh? Yeah, very. (laughs) Okay, on to basketball. Watching the Hornets play this week, I couldn't help but think, dang, these guys really suck. I thought that too. My question is, how far back in time would you have to go for this Hornets team to be a legit title favorite? Are we talking about the early 80s? What do you think? Please apply the same question to this year's Raptors. Thanks. Have a good one from Gavin. All right. My brain is having a hard time understanding what this question means. Are we traveling back in time? Like, LaMelo wouldn't even be born in the 80s. No. I don't think he'd be a good basketball player. Take this team as adults, and you. And how far back do you have to go? Where you're competing against like plumbers and smokers, you know? Like, <laughs> would it be that era where where the Hornets would would be the title favorites? I think certainly, just like any modern NBA team, if you put them in like the '70s, they're they're winning. <laughs> but Lamelo would probably get called for a carry on every single dribble. I think you like you'd be playing with like the modern era, like, cause like you, the three point line is absolutely necessary. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't think this team has the goods to win in any era. Charlotte. Do you think they're winning in the eighties against like Larry bird? Yeah. Like the free eighties. I don't know. Every, every, t- every player on the Charlotte Hornets is a better athlete than any player that played in the eighties. Like this just, just the, the terms of like the training, like the, the competitiveness of the league, like how they grew up, you know, like how like the level of play is just so much higher now that I think any NBA team in the eighties would win. So, all right. Interesting. I mean, sure. You know what? So, uh, I would, I would say that. like the eighties is like, and probably more like the early eighties is when, you know, you would, they would, they would probably be favorites just because like they can, you know, they're, they're not a great shooting team, but they actually do shoot threes, which is just like a plus 10 point advantage against teams. Right. Like, so I think just sort of the, the space and, and pace and sort of what they'd be able to do would be so revolutionary for the time that I think that they would be the favorites. But I think you, the fact that you have to go back that far is kind of alarming. Uh, Cause like, yeah, in the nineties, like obviously they're not, I don't think they're better than the Bulls, so. Yeah. 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 I definitely think as soon as they play Michael Jordan, he's just punking LaMelo. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, yeah. For the Raptors, 
you might have to go back further because <laughs> they yeah. don't have they don't have the spacing. No, yeah. I, I think it's the same era where it's just the the NBA has just changed so much since then that you know they they would still the Raptors would take forty threes and even if they're not great at them they would still have a pretty good advantage and they'd obviously be able to defend in that era really successfully with like OG and you know Pascal and Scotty and whatnot so precious so yeah I think the Raptors would be in the same caliber of team as the Hornets and, and like they were, their games were close this week. So I don't think there's any reason to think they perform better <laughs> with their current, current roster construction. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this week, Aaron, any final closing thoughts, embrace the tank, embrace the tank. Uh, I think we're going to do an episode. I know the Raptors have a Saturday and Sunday back-to-back. We'll probably do our episode on Sunday before the game because it's a later game. But, uh, yeah, so only only four games this week, but the the schedule is is coming hot and fast for the Raptors. And uh, decisions need to be made. This next month is, I think, determining the direction of the franchise for the next few years at least. So, Yeah, the more losses, the better. Let's make it easy for Masai. Yeah. 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 All right. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you want to send us an email, it's raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com. That's raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com. We appreciate everything we get. Gives us lots of fun stuff to talk about. And that's all for now. Bye-bye. Bye.